Today's episode of the Ringer NFL Show is brought to you by Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, where you can find the Ringer Fantasy Football Show with our good friends, Danny Kelly, Danny Heifetz, and Craig Horlbeck. We spun our fantasy football podcast to its own feed. It'll be with you all season for fantasy advice, and even I'll make a guest appearance even now and then, playing a little, little DFS early in the season. We'll get to that. Check it out. Hey there, football fans living in apartments in big cities, sympathizing with all of you out there who want every live game every Sunday afternoon but can't get DirecTV where you live. Well, good news. Now you can stream 2020 NFL Sunday ticket on your favorite devices, no satellite required, and get every live out-of-market game every Sunday afternoon. Go online to NFLSundayTicket.tv now to see if you're eligible. Pro tip, use promo code THERINGER at checkout to save 15%. It is the Ringer NFL Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network. I am Kevin Clark, joined today by the Athletic and the Tickets. Bob Sturm to talk Cowboys. Brian Curtis of the Ringer will also be in that Cowboys discussion. And Brian Curtis stays on to talk about what the NFL is going to look like on our televisions in 2020 and all the media angles associated with it. TV contracts, how that affects the salary cap. Uh, really good. Both of them are really good discussions, and I can't wait for you guys to listen. So here's Bob and Brian. Okay, joined by Bob Sturm of The Athletic and The Ticket and da- our resident Cowboys expert, oh. Brian Curtis, nice. who is so happy to be able to chop it up about the Dallas Cowboys. Oh my How are you gosh. doing, guys? It's an honor to be here, guys. I appreciate you having me. Absolutely. Yeah, so, so Bob, I'll start with you. You went to what you called the funny scrimmage on Sunday. There were yeah. no numbers on the jerseys, which I think is a little bit overblown when you consider how weird this year is from a roster building standpoint. You don't have, you know, I, I was talking to some people over the weekend. Normally you have, you're worried about, you know, savvy media members outing the good linebacker who's, who's going to be stashed away on practice squad and, and all that stuff. And I think there's a level of paranoia that coaches have. that's even more heightened than normal because they want to be able to, to hide the actual good players because they have the opportunity to, because nobody's really watching practice in any meaningful way. And then the, the expanded practice squad makes it so that, that you want to uh, that you have the opportunity to, to stash even more players with. But Bob, I'll start with you. What do you think, having seen this team in limited spurts in training camp, is the legitimate expectation for the Dallas Cowboys in 2020? Wow, um, that's a great question because so much is new, and that's and that's you know right. uh, clearly the oddity of a Cowboys year starting without Jason Garrett. So we'll start there. And even, you know, the approach they took on Sunday was funny because there's an internal cowboy uh, soap opera there where, you know, the business department, uh, which which takes great joy in being valued higher than like Real Madrid and Barcelona, uh, (laughs) definitely was was trying to have a made for TV uh, scrimmage that everybody would get all excited about. And more importantly, they could charge all their preseason sponsors that they lost like a like a game rate or who knows what that cost them. And then Mike McCarthy, in basically his first actual decision that mattered, even though it really doesn't, uh, pretty much uh, you know gave that whole concept the bird by by not allowing TV to show a single play, and and even if they did try to sneak in a single play, he was taking all names and numbers off the jersey. So I thought that was funny and and, and worthy of mentioning, uh, just because uh, we'll see how long the honeymoon lasts. We know how long it lasted with Parcells. But if you do actually hire a coach who has his own opinions on things uh, there, you start the clock with Jerry Jones just before they drive each other insane. 
And then that that should probably be our jumping off point. May I ask real quick, are, were you surprised that Mike McCarthy was able to make that sort of statement that early in his tenure? Just because you think, okay, so Mike McCarthy gets this job. He takes over a really talented team. Jerry Jones had options. He gets Mike McCarthy. Were you surprised that he's kind of going against cowboydom this early? Um, no, because I think they know what they signed up for. And that, that's part of the fun is uh, he has two uh, organizational influences, right? Pittsburgh and Green Bay. And if I were to say, please list the franchises that you think are most about football in general, you would probably come up with Pittsburgh and Green Bay. Yeah. And then you would might uh, say also historically, which franchise do we wonder do they prioritize football often enough uh, when they actually field a football team uh, as their main purpose of existing? And uh, you might actually say Dallas. So when those two guys got together, and of course the irony is McCarthy's biggest win is in the Cowboys stadium. Uh, in fact, several of his biggest wins have been there, but one being the Super Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. We kind of expected there would be this new, much like Parcells, and I'm sure Brian uh, would speak to this, uh, the, mm-hmm. the initial deal is, wow, we're a football organization that's going to do football things, which will include a cantankerous coach and, uh, and uh, you know, his bristling at all the sponsorships and all the, you know, the meet, uh, meet uh, you know, the big wig uh, luncheons and all these things that coaches in the NFL level don't deal with because they're not college coaches. That's one of the reasons they got into the NFL. So they don't have to do dog and pony shows anymore. But uh, so, so again, this is all great when you don't have any losses. The second the losses start, is the is the moment usually the Jones family starts undermining uh, their coach who uh, dares to have his own opinion. So uh, I don't I don't want to get carried away with sounding alarms and saying here we go again. But uh, if if in year three they try to bring in Antonio Brown as uh, the Terrell <laughs> Owens of this uh, of this drama, uh, just remember this conversation. I will say that the um, the the lack of Oxnard practice means that the coach doesn't have to be distracted by C list celebrities after practice, which yes. is always a huge part of it okay they do two hours of practice this press conference going on and then like someone who did three arcs on csi is in the middle of the field <laughs> and he is monopolizing the coaching staff uh and and their time um so back to the back to the the, the yes, expectations question yeah it's okay um when you look at this team again I, it's hard for me to say anything about right. the cowboys that's why i wanted to have this episode yeah because they have a really talented roster but i it is no one knows. I've asked 10 GMs over the past two weeks, what does this season look like? Who has the advantage? And you hear, I don't know, seven different answers, and three of them don't even want to guess because it's so crazy. So if you're thinking about Mike McCarthy, in, quote-unquote, installing things, culture, mm-hmm. scheme, whatever it is, paired with that talented roster, you put that where in the NFC and NFL pecking order? Well, uh, there's a couple things to consider, but I think the quick answer, which I'm not known for, uh, is is probably in that 11-win range, I would think. Mm-hmm. I would think they're good enough to have double digits. I would think just going from McCarthy to Garrett and just going from you know Maher to Zerline uh, should offer a fair amount of, uh, of upside uh, win-wise. They're also in a bad division, but we should remember – they are playing two extremely difficult divisions in their rotation, and and that will be a problem as well. The Eagles, uh, you know, to me, have already suffered some catastrophic injuries along the front that we all know about, and they are playing a slightly tougher first place to second place schedule, even though you guys know that doesn't mean a ton anymore, but it does mean instead of Minnesota, you're playing Green Bay, and instead of Atlanta, you're playing New Orleans. So I think that even matters in the division. Now, out of the division, things get crazy, but 
that's obviously why Garrett got got run is is ultimately that 2019 Cowboys, which which uh, had a relatively you know historic offense at least by Dallas standards, didn't even make the playoffs, and 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 they need to put that underachievement uh, behind them as soon as possible, and. I think they will because they've addressed an awful lot of things, but even the Gerald McCoy thing already starts to give you the, the indigestion of, uh, oh, this is how things happen when we actually start playing football. Brian, I want to ask you, and you, you, I'm with two geriologists, and we could do three hours mm. on Jerry, but I want to ask you, Brian, having spent time with Jerry and knowing Jerry uh, from your time with him, I feel like there's going to be a slow burn social justice Jerry Jones <laughs> storyline pretty much all year this year. And I don't know how that develops and how he handles that. If you were to sort of, um, and obviously we don't know where America is going to be and the world's going to be, and there, there's so many things to project, but just as far as him and how he's handled this thus far this year and how he could handle it this going forward, uh, how do you see Jerry Jones and, and a season dominated by social justice playing out? That's a that's a great question. And by the way, we should we should not sleep on the dog and pony show that was this Cowboys offseason. It's been <laughs> muted in a lot of ways. But let us remember that Jerry conducted the draft from his yacht like a Bond yeah. supervillain <laughs> and that the Cowboys star running back got coronavirus. Right? Yes. All, the, yes. all this sort of gets lost in the where the world yeah. is now. Oh, yeah. Jerry's biggest instincts have always been business. And I right. think if you look back at 2017, Jerry was very was motivated by a theory of business, right? That said, if we have players protesting during games, there are going to be these dire financial consequences for the NFL. Right. Maybe the calculation has changed for Jerry Jones, right? It certainly changed this summer for almost every business in America, right? To say that we need to think about protest movements differently than maybe our business would have been. This is everything from like American Airlines to fast food restaurants, to everything, right? Mm -hmm. So right. now if you're saying that Jerry Jones is going to be vocally against kneeling or vocally against protests like he was, rather than, let, let us say, quietly against protest or silently against protest, he's going to be going against just about every other big corporation in America. Right. And I, I don't see Jerry Jones doing that. I just don't see business-wise, whatever his politics are, whatever his feelings are, I don't see him going out on a limb on his own like that. Yeah, it, it's that's a really interesting one because uh, clearly there is a correlation on some level, and we don't know what the correlation is, but there's a correlation between the simple discussion of uh, America's team and the general franchise value of being the Dallas Cowboys. And where those two things intersect, we can, we can certainly have a fun debate. But I think he believes that them being America's team uh, certainly matches up with the symbolism of, uh, of you know, how we handle the anthem, how we honor our troops and all those types of things. And that seems on some level to be in conflict with the most basic discussions of, of, uh, of how players express their own personal opinions. So I assume even based on his uh, state of the uh, franchise address of a couple weeks ago, I assume at some point there is a, a, uh, a, a an adjustment on how he feels on these things, but man, until uh, until we get to September thirteenth at uh, seven twenty or so, a lot of us are going to be uh, hanging on to uh, you know the uh, you know the the safety rails inside our uh, our vehicle because uh, we we don't dude I don't even I mean you know if you want to take this all the way to the crazy part, uh, Kevin, you could you could just I do you you could say 
are any of us, I mean, on the Sunday night game involving the Dallas Cowboys in Los Angeles on NBC, if ever there was a time where both teams sort of take the field uh, as if they're about to have a kickoff and then they all file to their rooms to, to make a point, I would say that would be the most impactful place to do it, even more yeah. than the uh, season opener in Kansas City. So, so I have no idea what to expect there. I feel way more comfortable discussing Joe Looney for Travis Frederick or CeeDee Lamb or, or all the football things because all bets are off on, on how the Cowboys players and the Cowboys owner find common ground that isn't as corny as it was on Monday night in Arizona back in 2017 where, where he's kind of looking at the camera out of the corner of his eye at the unison uh, kneel that they had. So um, who knows is my answer to that. Corny is the exact right word for that display <laughs> in Arizona. That was unbelievable. Um, I, I want to, first of all, before we get into that topic, uh, Bounty Fox was on our podcast last week, and he made the point that kneeling no longer makes anyone feel uncomfortable. And so it almost feels like to me that, uh, you know, allowing kneeling and being okay with that, I think is, is, as you guys said, a mainstream opinion. And, and I think that there's a lot of uh, people who, who, who have said who they didn't kneel or they didn't give uh, proper attention to the cause in 2016. He'll be kneeling this year. And so you're going to see a lot more of that this year as far as players go. And so I think that there's going to be an extra layer of protest, whether mm -hmm. that's exactly what you're talking about or players sending out games. And that then becomes the actual frontier that a team like the Cowboys, which is more cons uh, socially conservative is, is going to have to deal with. All right, Bob, you wrote off of the, off of the scrimmage over the weekend that, Mike McCarthy is not Jason Garrett. Right. That is both obvious and interesting at the same time. What does Jason Garrett as a concept mean to you? And what is the fact that he's gone mean? Well, um, I don't think that he ever uh, was given nor requested the total power of a normal head coach. I, I really think in, in a lot of personnel matters and in a lot of just general, are you the uh, the the top rung in the ladder of a command in an NFL organization? You know, did he qualify for that? Was he was he that guy, or was he always willing to operate uh, in the job description that the Cowboys generally offer a man in his position? But more strategically and more meaningfully, uh, I would simply say it comes down to uh, Mike McCarthy has been hired to maximize, not to protect the Cowboys um, final product on the field. And by maximize clearly when you see a bunch of yards, you would also like a lot of a bunch of points and with a bunch of points, you'd like a bunch of wins. Well, the Cowboys seem to generally minimize those results. They get lots of yards, but uh, the closer they get to the, uh, the, the goal line, the, the more difficult the, you know, it is to put up seven points. And it seems like underachievement is something that they've been doing for really the, I mean, you know, people want to put this on Dak and Zeke and this crew, but I mean, uh, tell me this wasn't going on with Romo in his prime and right. so forth. And so uh, I would say to go get Mike McCarthy and, and uh, you know, to those of you who uh, really know my backstory, which is like four people probably, but uh, you, people know where I'm from. Wait, Brian knows it from knowing yeah. you. I know it from listening to you on the No Laying Up Trap okay. Draw podcast. Okay. So well, we're, we're all, all everybody here is clear on We it. got okay. two out of four. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> well I, I, I am, uh, I am uh, by the way, shout out to the No Laying Up uh, podcast. There. Oh, I didn't uh, see that shirt. He's wearing a strap shirt. Yeah, there's and a strap. Um, I, I, I would say that uh, being a cheesehead uh, by birth, uh, I can tell you that, uh, that 
Mike McCarthy uh, has has annoyed me uh, for years up there. But uh, as I as I separate the the two paths of my life and 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 say what would be not exactly the opposite of Jason Garrett, but a but a great uh, a, a a great update to Jason Garrett is a guy who doesn't think fourth down is an insane concept to possibly go for it. Um, <laughs> to pass on first down is not crazy. To basically uh, challenge players in a confrontational way is not insane. Uh, I don't think Mike McCarthy and I'm trying to remember the easiest way to contradict this statement, but I don't think Mike McCarthy would ever let. Uh, Des Bryant, uh, you know, run the sideline or Greg Hardy to, uh, to, uh, to shove a special teams yeah. coach. I just think Mike McCarthy has a concept of a football coach that agrees with my DNA. Um, so, and Jason Garrett has the DNA of a guy who will not get fired by Jerry Jones for 10 years. And those are just two different concepts. Um, uh, Jerry loves to make the big decisions. He is an owner who is uh, a billionaire. And he does not want to ever feel like he's not the main story, which is why in, in the most uh, a dog claiming their territory type of routine, he, he is probably the only owner who has a full press briefing inside the coach's <laughs> locker room after each game. I mean, if you want to talk about, uh, you know, being the alpha male in the conversation, what is more alpha male than going in the locker room as a owner and, 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 and holding court with the, with the press right there as the players are untaping their ankles. It's insane, but it's normal here. And that, you know, Brian will tell you, that's one of the crazy things about covering the Cowboys is you get desensitized to what's abnormal because it's all normal. Everything, you know, he goes down a list of things and I'm like, doggone, that did happen here. Should I have made a bigger deal about that? And I'm desensitized from following this team for 22 years is what, what goes with the circus, you know? Bob made this point in an athletic piece the other day, but there are no institutional secrets about the Dallas Cowboys. Right. right. I will resist the political analogy here so we don't just derail this whole thing. But you know everything in real time, mostly yes. because Jerry Jones says it. Right. So that when we talk about the Jones way and the McCarthy way coming together, there's this idea starting with that scrimmage that, well, maybe there will be some secrets about the Cowboys that will not just be announced to the public. And, and again, and, and Kevin, Kevin follows this as much as anybody, but it is amazing to me just as a fan, not as a Cowboys reporter to just know who the Cowboys are going to draft the day before, because it <laughs> right. is basically announced to every team in the league. Plus somebody like, me. yes, it, it, it should never be a reporter's claim that there are too many available leaks, that it is too easy for me to get information <laughs> to do my job. But at some point you do say it should not be this easy to know everything about what they do and what they think. And, and I should, he's right for over a decade, um, with, with very few exceptions. Now there've been one or two along the way, but for almost, with almost no exceptions, anybody who, who covers the Cowboys locally knows who they're taking in the first round because they basically put blinking lights around it. And, uh, and, and, you know, uh, it was Caleb on chase on this year. And in fact, I think he admitted that during the scrimmage on Sunday night and and CD lamb dispelled to them and, and they actually uh, deviated, which is they which was wonderful news. But uh, for the most part, we definitely knew Leighton Van Der Esch. We definitely knew uh, uh, Zach Martin, definitely knew Tyron Smith, Zeke. I mean, all these guys, if, if the rest of the league didn't know what the Cowboys were going to do, uh, they, they did not try very hard to find out. I would spend one or two days a year in Oxnard when they had their training camp. And it was just every 20 seconds, you look around and someone was giving 
what in any other building would be an unauthorized press availability. Right. But it's Stephen, and he's talking about. I remember I was doing something on the spread one time. I mean, I almost felt like I had died and was in a coma because I was doing a doing a story on the spread offense 2017, I guess. And Steven's just talking, and I kind of listened in for five seconds. And he's like, you know, we uh, we wanted Connor Cook uh, because he had not run the spread. He ran a pro style. And I had been sitting here. I had gone to 31 other teams trying to get – Basically, the vague version of that. Right. We wanted Connor Cook and not Dak. We had Connor Cook above our board yeah. and Dak Prescott lower because Dak had run the spread. And I was just, it took me five seconds in Oxnard <laughs> to get that quote. And I wasn't even trying. I was just walking past. Yeah. Brian, as someone who monitors this stuff very closely, Cowboysology, um, you know, I've had a couple people on my podcast with Evan Silva, Mina Kimes, who have talked about the Cowboys are legitimate Super Bowl contenders. And a lot of that's the roster stuff, but a lot of it is also just, I don't know, runaway Cowboys hype. It seems like they should be better than they are every year. And I think that those teams tend to get talked about as Super Bowl contenders, being able to take the next step. I think people bought into the Kellen Moore thing and and continuity for, for, for in, in the year that that's important. Do you think Cowboys expectations here have gotten a little bit out of whack just because of the, the strange offseason, the way the news cycles are developed and kind of what you're talking about where I don't think Ezekiel and coronavirus um, or or any of these sort of wild cowboy stories that we would normally be discussing uh, have, have made much of a dent in, in this news cycle. So on the one hand, it's muted. And on the right. other hand, the day that the Miami Marlins had that huge COVID outbreak, I was flipping around looking for news and I turned on Undisputed and they were doing a DAC segment with the all-time worn-out pun, Dak to the future, as as the Chiron. And I'm going, we are, baseball may be stopping in America. And we're doing a segment on Dak that really doesn't have a news peg other than it's, here is the Dallas Cowboys segment. Right. So so yep. it's muted, muted, but only so much. Right. That's, yeah, that's, that's what they do. Yeah, right. And I, <laughs> so I, I do, and I do think this would be the kind of season that would have, in me again in talk show segment national talk mm -hmm. show segment terms super bowl expectations written on it if it were not for the events in the world right now i mean and, and mostly what bob said oh wow you have a fully autonomous human as the coach of the dallas cowboys which has not <laughs> been the case in a really long time in almost 15 years right you have a guy who might come up with a game plan in week one that the rams didn't expect which is something, again, me coming at this mostly as a fan is really mind-blowing, right? To not be a deliberate franchise, to not be a plotting franchise on game day, but to be interesting. Yeah. You know, I, I that reminds me, Brian, I, I wrote uh, I wrote a real big, uh, like, three-part thing back in May when we were all trying to come up with things to write about. And I, I wanted to write, basically, Kevin, the sort of history of the Jason Garrett era. And, mm. and, and really, um, I'll, you know, clearly... I'm not going to try to summarize uh, 12,000 words, but let's just say he made it very clear by like 2012 that he was not an above average NFL coach. And there were like right. 10 clear examples of it uh, in games, you know, back then that were, were all too obvious, uh, you know, uh, losing a 27 to three lead to Detroit uh, mm -hmm. in the third quarter at home. Uh, you know, just the, the Ravens debacle. I mean, I could go on and on, but really what it boiled down to was this simple concept. Every Sunday, there are 16 games in this league, and you just want a coach that is not the second best coach on his field 
very often, you know, and, and <laughs> right. you, you just, you just don't want to be outclassed at that position. You know, quarterback, you can only do so much about, and sometimes you just need uh lady luck to smile upon you to say, you know what, we've got the best uh, quarterback on the field every week. So good luck beating us, but you can't have the second best, best coach 10 or 11 weeks a year and feel like you're right. ever going to hit your ceiling. So, so, to, you know, maybe the best way to summarize Mike McCarthy over Jason Garrett is the concept that more often than not, Mike McCarthy will be the best coach in the game that he's coaching. Yeah, right, that's the best you can hope for. Bob, I'm curious, you know, one of the things we like to do on this show is just sort of thought experiments on how teams can win the Super Bowl. You know, mm -hmm. you look at a team last year like San Francisco. Right. If we were to map it out last year, it would have been Nick Bosa becomes one of the best defensive players in football. Debo Samuel can't be tackled. Yeah. Jimmy Garoppolo plays above average. The offensive line is as good as it is. And, you know, you sort of see those pathways. If the Cowboys make the Super Bowl this year, Give me that path. Well, the path has to be that uh, their their defensive line rebuild here, which is a certainly it feels almost uh, fantasy football like in the way that they've gone about <laughs> it. This is the opposite of of what we would all say is the best way to build a great defense, which is generally by just nailing uh, the draft over and over again with twenty two year olds who are awesome. This is the opposite of that. I mean, Alden Smith is a pretty wacky idea. Uh, Everson Griffin is is awesome, but uh, if you put those two guys uh, together, you would say that both teams um, that uh, they left will at least offer you a slight red flag on uh, on, on you know how that might uh, totally uh, you know hash itself out. Um, Gerald McCoy was uh, sort of you know the alpha in that defensive line room, and now for him to get, go to the IR and then quickly released is a, uh, is, is, is a pretty unforeseen idea. And then you add in what Don Terry Poe, possibly mm -hmm. Randy Gregory. So all this is around DeMarcus Lawrence, who I think is a absolute stud, but admittedly uh, studs for a hundred million dollars have to get there five more than five times in a season. And, and so he had a very down 2019. We could, we could argue uh, till the cows come home on why he had a down season, but I think supporting cast had a lot to do with it. And so when you look at that defensive line that is trying to figure out how can we patch it together with guys who are 30, and in some cases, a guy who hasn't been in the NFL since 2015, and say to ourselves, we think this can put pressure on a quarterback on a regular basis when we're playing them. And, and then you add what has to be a much better year from Jalen Smith and Leighton Vanderesh, who, by the way, are switching positions in a somewhat nuanced discussion. Uh, Vanderesh will now play middle and Jalen will now play the will. And, and uh, we assume that that should be a slightly better idea than what they rolled out there last year, but both of them have massive injury concerns. So, uh, and, in, and they are in front of a secondary that will start ha ha Clinton Dix, uh, who is on his fourth team in three years and, and uh, you know, who Mike McCarthy is quite familiar with. So, and then a bunch of uh, lesser players, although they, they addressed with Trayvon Diggs, uh, you know, in the secondary, I think they're going to be better. I think they're going to play more man, but the quick answer, which was not quick at all is, the, the way that they go do some stuff this year is a, they have a defense that can in some ways play matching complementary football with the offense, mm -hmm. uh, as opposed to the Jason Garrett, Rod Marinelli, Chris Richard defense, which I think didn't play complementary football at all with the, the offense. They, you know, they, they were a very deliberate. We never blitz. We never get the ball. Uh, we bend, but don't break. And that, that was, 
complimentary to the 2016 ball control offense, but not the yeah. 2019 Kellen Moore offense. So, so this makes more sense. Are you surprised that there hasn't been more buzz in the last couple of days about Earl Thomas, just because of the way the safety battle has been, been playing out. And I just, I felt like everyone in the NFL thought, okay, it doesn't make any sense, but Jerry's going to do it anyway. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, first of all, uh, locally there's, there's always Earl Thomas buzz because, <laughs> um, I mean, it was telegraphed three years ago and he's a longhorn hero. And those two combinations uh, just never stop. But, um, this might be another somewhat telling idea of who's running the thing a little bit and uh, how much of a vote does Mike McCarthy yeah. get? Because this has nothing to do with Mike McCarthy. Uh, uh, you know, Earl Thomas walked up to Jason Garrett and said, come get me. This is a Jones family <laughs> obsession who always seems to love the local uh, university products around here. And uh, they seem to uh, they seem to adjust for Big 12 uh, on their, you know, on their desire right. card, uh, you know. So so I think once Mike McCarthy knows John Schneider like he does, um, I assume the intelligence they had uh, at least told them to slow their roll a little bit. But I, you know, clearly from an X's and O's standpoint, if 2017 Earl Thomas can join this defense, that'd be really cool. Yeah. Um, last thing, last topic, I guess I want to get to is the DAC contract because I still don't understand this. And I talked to a lot of GMs where they say, if you have a good quarterback, the worst thing to have to do is to go into the draft and try to find another one or find uncertainty. And, right. you know, I, I remember talking to a GM a couple of years ago who said that, you know, when you don't have a quarterback, you can feel it in the building. Like when you're walking around in the hallways, people are just a little bit more down because there, there's a problem that constantly needs to be solved. And it feels to me like Dak Prescott's the kind of guy you want around. I understand the actual money in the years and that kind of thing. But the fact this hasn't gotten done is, is perplexing to me. Yes. Going into 2020, you view this how? Is there a chance that Dak Prescott is not the Cowboys quarterback long-term in any meaningful way, or do you think this will eventually get done? I, I think we'd have to say there's definitely a chance now. I mean, I, I, you know, July 14th, I didn't think there was a chance that he would not be the long-term solution here, but once they get to the tag and once you have a COVID cap adjustment, yeah. I, I don't necessarily know how you could totally rule it out anymore. I mean, if the number doesn't adjust and it's 37 something in 2021, and the cap goes backwards, uh, it gets to a point where, you know, and I'm, I'm certainly not a salary cap truther like, uh, like some people are that, uh, oh, this team just can't figure this out. There's always ways to figure things out, and the Cowboys are, are fantastic at manipulating things that they actually want to get done. But it's, it's now getting pretty real, and the price has continued to go up. And, and so now, just like the entire team, it's not really – a question of where does he rank amongst quarterbacks? It's where does he rank against the insane expectations that are now being put on him? If you know, are you worth 45 million a year? Are you worth 50 million a year? Like right. somehow we went from, is he the next franchise quarterback of this franchise to, is he better than Pat Mahomes, which is not yeah. the, no one, no one ever said that, but, but you know how, uh, going back to undisputed and, and, uh, you know, first take and cold pizza and all the shows that uh, really make my job a pleasure. Um, yeah. they, you know, they, they have, they have, they've changed the math on Dak so much that unless he is Staubach, Aikman and Mahomes mixed yeah. together, uh, people are going to be taking shots at him, which I think speaks incredibly well to the fact that he hasn't folded as a human 
uh, under all of this noise. Uh, the, the fact that he can handle this and almost never has an expression change just says he might be perfect for this job because I think it would crush Blake Bortles or, yeah. or Mitch Trubisky or some of these guys to deal with what Dak deals with. Brian, I'll ask you that because I normally hate, absolutely hate the storyline of, you know, and it could be any city, but like this guy just can't play shortstop in Boston. Right. He just can't handle, he just can't <laughs> handle it. And he can't play center field for the Yankees. This guy's just not ready for this. And I normally hate that or, you know, quarterback at, at, at Florida, whatever it is. But it does seem to me with the media and with like, like you're saying, Bob, the, the talk show complex that playing Cal playing quarterback for the Cowboys is different. Um, do you think Brian, a, there is a, a, a type of personality that needs to be the quarterback of the, of the Cowboys? Well, it's been a lot of different ones, right? I mean, I don't know that we'd find a right. great through line from, we maybe find it from Roger stop to Troy Eggman, but Troy Eggman to Tony Romo would take a little bit of a detour right. and Romo to Dak would certainly take a detour. Mm -hmm. One thing we forget about Dak, by the way, he's a great story. He is now, we, yes. that story has been told so many times. that I think we just kind of forget it, but he's a great story. And, and to me, it all comes back to geriology again. Every Cowboys draft pick that has shown a pulse, and sometimes half a pulse, <laughs> has gotten a pretty big second contract. It yeah. is very hard to remember, and I, I don't know if Bob even remembers who that the person would be who didn't. Wow. But, like, you know, it's sort of like, so the idea that he is going to dig his heels in here with quarterback, not with wide receiver, not with linebacker, not with any of these other things, but with quarterback after struggling for so long to find somebody to do this and a guy who leads the team in a way that Jerry Jones at least says he wants the team to be led. I still don't feel I, un I completely understand it. And I don't, I don't understand it in terms of what Kevin's talking about NFL theory. And I don't understand it in terms of Jerry Jones theory, especially. Well, the, the, the quick answer so everybody doesn't respond would be Byron Jones. But before that, I, I take oh, that point completely. Um, but, but you're absolutely right. Everyone gets their second contract if they can play it all. And, and uh, I, you know, when you talk about the math, I just think for, for me, the Cowboys have been paying certain prices for things for so long that they forgot what living in the real world is like. And yeah. when you find Dak and Romo at the price you found them in the draft, you kind of lose sight of what quarterbacks cost. And then they try this insane, insane public relations claim that playing for the Cowboys uh, allows you all these things in life, like a radio show <laughs> or a, or a, or a gets, car dealer gets, commercial. You get to call in for 20 minutes on yeah, Mondays and, for 500 and, bucks. You know what? Yeah, and you, and you should be more than happy to take a 20% discount on your player contract because of what it means to be a Dallas Cowboy like, like we're all morons and uh, this is 1974 and Tech Shram is interviewing <laughs> is negotiating with somebody. So, so Dak hasn't fallen for their little Jedi mind trick of, uh, Hey, you're lucky to be our quarterback situation and good for him because, uh, that, uh, in fact, if you guys were out at camp last year, it was, you know, Steven was telling everybody, man, the pie's only so big, you know, the, everyone's got to take a little smaller piece of the pie to make everyone fit. And then they give Zeke all the money and then they give Amari all the money and then they give Demarcus Lawrence all the money. And, and really what they meant was we don't want to pay the going rate for a QB one unless uh, he has like four Lombardi trophies uh, carrying around with him. And, and that just that's just insanity. But I suppose if you ever do a draft from a yacht, it costs three hundred million dollars. What do you know about reality and, 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 and what do we know about his reality? So, so it's, it's just more of the same uh, in the circus tent.
Bob, we'll get you out on this one. Uh, if there's one thing we're not talking enough about the Cowboys in 2020, if there's one little nugget that you think is important that is just not reaching the national media, what is it? Wow. Uh, I suppose the general thing, and this might be a little boring, but uh, to me, the one thing I probably haven't done enough talking about yet is how Mike McCarthy and Ezekiel Elliott find common ground. Uh, mm. and, and, and really, it boils down to um, I think this front office wanted to put together the 1992 Cowboys and, uh, and, and they built the offensive line and the running back. And they felt like they were kind of building the 92 to 95 Cowboys. And they didn't really care how much football has changed since the 92 Cowboys, including, you know, things like salary cap and the forward pass and just all these things <laughs> that we've discovered in the last 30 years. And so, uh, Zeke is used to having everything built around him. Well, now they have arguably three top wide receivers. Uh, you know, I, I think CeeDee Lamb has a chance to be better than Amari yeah. Cooper. And, I, you know, Michael Ooh. Gallup is, is really special. So, so they should be an 11 personnel. They should be passing as much as anybody in the league. And Zeke uh, runs the ball. And I, you know, I'm sorry, fantasy football fans who will tell me how many receptions he has. He is nowhere near McCaffrey or Kamara or or yeah. so many running backs in terms of receiving. So I wonder if their biggest weapon on offense um, doesn't totally fit with what they should be trying to do offensively. And I think that's probably a storyline that uh, is, is is at least worth exploring. It's going to be fascinating. Uh, Brian, any final Cowboys thoughts? No, um, you know, as somebody who's used to repackaging Bob's insights on Dallas radio <laughs> as my own, I'm going to I'm going to stick with that one. <laughs> Nice. This is great. All right, Bob, thank you so much, man. This is incredibly illuminating. Really appreciate the time. I really appreciate being on with you guys. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. If you get in a crash, people could get hurt or killed. But let's take a moment to look at some surprising statistics. Almost 29 people in the United States die every day in alcohol-impaired vehicle crashes. That's one person every 50 minutes. Even though drunk driving fatalities have fallen by a third in the last three decades, drunk driving crashes still claim more than 10,000 lives each year. Drunk driving can also have a big impact on your wallet too. You could get arrested and incur huge legal expenses. You could possibly even lose your job. So what can you do to prevent drunk driving? Plan a safe ride home before you start drinking, designate a sober driver or call a taxi. If someone you know has been drinking, take their keys and arrange for them to get a sober ride home. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure, you're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. All right, Brian Curtis sticks with us for a second segment. This is like uh, this is like Carson, where he comes back from commercial and we're just, <laughs> got, we're just doing a second segment. Back. Yeah, you got invited, you got invited to the couch after your set. Um, man, that must have been uh, just pure uncut cowboys talk there you must have been fired up it is incredible like one of my favorite radio hosts and my favorite football team i'm just i, I i'm home you know i really I, chewy we're home this is great the what <laughs> the one thing i didn't know until the super bowl between you and jason gallagher two of my my very close colleagues both from dallas is the respect shown and given by dallas sports fans to dallas talk radio Oh, absolutely. Because I, I grew up in a place, so I'm from Orlando, not a huge talk radio culture. And then when I was in Miami, I got a little bit of that when I was in college with um, Dan Levitard, obviously. Uh, John Shambi had a, had a great show when I was there. So you, that, that was my afternoons. But it wasn't, I wasn't like 
12, you know, and so, or, you know, 15, whatever it is, like, like Jason Gallagher growing up with it. And obviously you had it as well. But Dallas Talk Radio is legit. It is. It's unironic Francesa, right? Like, I don't, <laughs> I, I don't like him, people like Bob and his station in spite of themselves. I just actually like them. And right. their lineup was basically put together my junior year of high school, and it's still the lineup. So flipping it on in streaming or when I get back home and flipping on the radio, it is it is a wonderful experience. We were going to the Jason Isbell concert on a Tuesday at the Super Bowl, and Jason Gallagher's dad was excited because, <laughs> because he heard on Dallas radio that some of the Dallas radio guys might go to the Jason Isbell yeah, concert and told Jason real. Gallagher. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So let's let's move on from Dallas Talk Radio um, as much as we like it to the NFL in 2020, what that looks like. You cover media. Uh, no one does a better job than you. And I'm curious. We are a week out from the first game and we are Wild. a little bit more than a week out from the first NFL Sunday. There will be no fans in, about, I don't know, about half of the stadiums. Then, and then there will be you know, 13,000 fans, I think in Miami uh, it, it's case by case in some of these cities. And also, by the way, uh, when I say, when I give these numbers, it's all, uh, it all remains to be seen because Places like Baltimore say, hey, for at least the early part of the season, no fans. We'll see what happens in November. We, the world keeps changing so often that, that, that who knows. But the only thing we know is it's not going to be full stadiums. And that's pretty much going to be true throughout the season. So, Brian, now that you were on here a couple months ago when we knew almost nothing, when Bundesliga was the only sport that was, that was uh, uh, on television, now we've seen more. Uh, what does NFL Sundays, what do NFL Sundays look like in 2020? I come back to a concept you've said a bunch of times on this podcast, which is that the NFL has been in the catbird seat because it gets to wait and see what the other leagues are going to do and then try mm -hmm. to adjust accordingly. Now, whether that actually works through like two weeks of football, we'll see. But th that's the idea, right? I think broadcasting is basically exactly the same thing, which is that all these guys who are producing NFL games have been watching baseball and they've been watching a ton of basketball and they have tried to see like what works. And I think, Kevin, the answer to what works is you make it look just about like the sporting event it's always looked like. And you sort of hit this, hit the American public with, you know what you want right now? You want sports. And yeah. you're not too worried if there's not a billion people in the stands. You're not too worried if we didn't like create 19 graphics to compensate for empty stadiums and that kind of stuff. You just want football. And I think the answer is this is just going to look a lot like NFL coverage shot a little bit more tightly so we don't see the so we don't see the stands. Maybe we'll have some fake fans on Fox. Maybe we'll have some fake sound and we'll definitely have fake sound. But I think it's going to look more like the NFL we know and love than anything. Do you think the fake sound? So will the announcers be able to hear the fake sound? Uh, they it depends on the announcer. Some of them want okay. that in their ears and some of them don't. I would think most of the ones that I know want, would want that in their ears. Absolutely. Yeah, it'd be so uncomfortable just talking to, to no one without that sort of and sort of the cues, but then the cues are artificial. It just seems very strange to me. I don't know. Um, do you think that part of this, you know, I remember a couple of years ago talking to someone really smart inside the NFL, and we were talking about the NBA and how much they're innovating and you know, they're on social media and and they're they're putting clips on XYZ or whatever. And the NFL, some this person in the NFL was telling me, like, you know, the NFL they want to be in the middle of the innovation cycle. They don't want to be in the front. They don't want to be in the back. They want to be dead in the middle. They let the other leagues do this. But do you get the sense that the NFL, I don't know, they didn't go into this trying to 
build a huge board like the NBA did with it, with the, you know, the virtual fans and they're not trying to, you know, I think that a lot of people praise the NBA for the visual presentation, but I just don't get the sense the NFL was all that interested in innovating that part of it. And, and kind of to your point, they, they just want this to feel normal. Yeah. I mean, it's the, the NFL in a lot of ways is the Jason Garrett Cowboys when right. it comes to media innovation, right? We're just going to be right in the middle of it. We're going to, we're going to hand the ball yeah. to Zeke and run over left yeah. tackle. Execution, execution over scheme. That is, that, that is what happens when you have the most popular TV product in America, full stop, right? right. Why would you screw that up when you have something that was something like 80 of the most popular hundred yeah. television shows in 2019 when we actually still had television like we right. know it why would you want to trick that out why wouldn't you just want to bring that back to the public in its normal form i always love that list of most popular tv shows it's like 85 football games and then like the academy awards <laughs> and then like a random showing of a movie yeah you know it's always just like they, they showed they showed titanic without commercials or whatever yeah, and maybe a Big Bang Theory finale mixed in yeah, there. And you're oh, like, yeah, that was absolutely. still on, you know? Oh, absolutely. yeah. Number number 19. <laughs> One of the NFL TV executives told me that, and this kind of charts the death of linear television, that they used to show the NFL ratings when they were trying to impress the owners and how good the ratings are. They would show the ratings against other sports, and then that got so just became such a blowout that they just started against all TV, like 60 minutes, big bang theory, how I met your mother, that kind of thing. Oh yeah. And then the NFL was trouncing them. And so now they, they just gave up. They just, they, they can't even find comparisons because the ratings are quite frankly, just too good. It is network television, right? Like CBS yeah. and, and, and propping it up. It exists to show NFL games. Right. And speaking of storylines that got sort of muted by the whole pandemic and everything, how about all these networks trying to re-sign their NFL contracts, right? right? Which is now an existential problem. Like, does Fox exist if Fox cannot show the NFL? Does CBS, in what way does CBS exist if it doesn't have NFL games? And that's still happening, right? Those, those negotiations are still happening as we speak. But to me, again, that, that was like one of those things that people like me would have been worrying about for the last four months. And in fact, it's been somewhere in the background. Yeah. Have you heard anything substantial on that? Because I, I, I've i heard a little bit and I've, I've read a little bit about it, but this is a huge story because oh, yeah. the, when we talk about the salary cap and the fact that it might smooth out a little bit, not rise to the levels it was expected to or whatever, we're talking about Dak Prescott's salary and, and, and what that looks like the next five years. These TV contracts go a long way in that. And I think the NFL had really high expectations. It's going to be tough. I mean, it's going to be tough if if they can't get these deals done until after this year and maybe college football revenues are down, maybe just all revenues are down for some of these uh, these huge conglomerates. And we've seen huge layoffs at some of these huge, uh, I wouldn't even call them media companies. They're just, you know, Comcast or, or whomever. I mean, this is bigger than than television. But what what is the latest on those TV contracts and kind of what what the media landscape looks like going forward. It is a huge story. And you remember that CBA. I mean, part of the whole, part of the yeah. reason that CBA had to be done then was let us get that extra inventory in there so we have something fantastic to sell to these networks. Right. We have even more football to sell to these networks and we can maximize this for everything. I mean, a couple of things I would say that one number one is this is the last blast of the TV networks which right. sort of ran American life when you and I were kids, right? This is going to be the last contract, I think 
where they're going to just completely dominate NFL football. And that's a huge advantage for the NFL, by the way, to be not on cool cable station, but be on like channel five every Sunday. Right. <laughs> like that has been an untold advantage to the NFL. This will probably be the last contract where that happens. But yeah, the second one is if you're in a TV entertainment world where TV is not in production, <laughs> TV shows as we know it are not currently being made because of the coronavirus. You absolutely need the one piece of TV that will put butts in the seats. Like it's actually, mm -hmm. to me, you could you could certainly argue that these networks are diminished, that they've lost lots of money, that media is in this weird half state right now. But you could also argue that what are you going to do, right? It's like the movie, it's like the movie company saying, we're going to make another Star Wars movie because that's guaranteed box office. It's the same way with the networks. You've got to re-sign the NFL because that's the one thing that will put butts in the seats on television. I remember in 2014 when the NFL was going through all its problems and one of my editors was like, write a story about just what it would mean if the NFL stopped being sort of the, the magnet for attention and eyeballs that it is. And I talked to our, one of our advertising people, the reporter, and I got on the phone with this person who, it was basically a consultant who does everything, right? And I put that question up. I was like, what happens if the NFL stops, you know, attracting 30 million people every time they, they throw the ball out? And the person, and I was like, what happens to TV? And they were like, no, you don't understand. It's, it's not a TV thing. I mean, TV would go, would go bust if there was no NFL. But like the advertising industry, would go bust. Like the beer industry would go bust. <laughs> the takeout industry would go bust. I mean, it was just like the thing, the the interconnected things. I'm not saying bust exactly, but their their revenues would would drop sharply because everything advertising wise, television wise, is geared around football. It's the reason so many things launch in September. If you want to make very quick inroads into American consciousness, you advertise on football games. Absolutely. And not to mention the network's own fall schedules and all that stuff. Yeah. The ad, the, the sort of network ad read during football is like arguably the most important thing in America, in the commercial life of the America of America right now. And yeah, no, it's crazy. Back to that is incredible. Uh, who's going to be your uh, empty stadium MVP broadcaster? Ooh, that's a good question. Empty stadium MVP. You know, when I've talked to announcers about this, they'll say, it's essentially, it's like the road team scoring a winning, the game winning touchdown yeah. in the fourth quarter is sort of every touchdown. I think the guy, you know, the guy who's actually had reps at this already is Joe Buck, because not only has he been doing baseball, he's yeah. been doing baseball. And not only has he been doing baseball from a studio rather than the stadium, he's been doing it in a separate studio than John Smoltz. So <laughs> let me just, just so we can unpack this for a second, right? Usually John Smoltz is right here. Yeah, John Smoltz is in a separate studio and neither of them are in the stadium. And to my ears, it sounds great. It sounds it sounds like normal. So I don't know. To me, you know, if you're looking at like and I guess Nance has had golf reps. But, you know, to me, Joe's probably had the most stadium reps of any of these guys going in the season. Yeah. And I also think baseball in general would help with this. I mean, Joe, I think didn't Joe do a year of minor league baseball? Maybe two. Maybe, yeah, back in the day. Yeah, at the very beginning. But I think that, you know, that was you know, 25 years ago. He's obviously been a top-tier guy for a long time. But I also think baseball, 
listen, man, there are a lot of games on July 15th where there's just there's just not a lot of crowd reaction no you matter what happens. <laughs> yeah, or so you know, the 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 home team gives up gives up five runs in the first and just nothing else happens for the rest of the game and there's just nothing going on. Like I feel like baseball, I you know, basketball is a little more kind of immediate the crowd reaction is you know because there's baskets every five seconds there it just seems a little bit more the feedback i guess from the crowd is is more immediate so it's a little uh weirder to have nothing there uh as far as an empty gym but i think i'm really fascinated to see if it lends itself to sort of baseball style conversations where you know they're just kind of they're going full Mets booth and they're just telling long anecdotes in in the third quarter because there's just no crowd to keep them in (laughs) in uh in in focus I'm, I'm intrigued to see how this this plays out i'll give you two more little storylines for 2020 in the nfl yes one is the rise of the announcer in waiting remember when we had the coach in waiting in college oh, football yes. well now it's drew Brees. it's drew Brees, and it's also greg olson because you oh, know yeah, I forgot. greg olson is playing football but when he stops he will be fox's number two announcer so daryl johnson is holding the seat for him this year but we're this this weird thing where it's like, okay, you get to be the announcer, but next year we have an announcer in waiting or whenever Greg Olson stops playing football. That is that is very new to me <laughs> to at least do that formally. And it's pretty Has funny. that ever happened before? I, you know, I'm sure guys have like, you know, oh, that's a guy we want, right? Like he's so good. Or, or a handshake to- deal like, hey, as soon as you hang up the cleats, you're walking right into my booth kind of thing. But not yeah. like a pre-contract. Yeah, it's like it was it's literally like going to the defensive coordinator and say, you know, when the head coach hangs it up, you're going to be our guy like that. That is that is what broadcasting has done. I find that very amusing. And then the other one is I was just looking over my press releases the other day. The Carrie Underwood opening of Sunday Night Football. I know this will be a particular interest to you will be done with virtual fans like the NFL draft be like a virtual element. So we will have we will have Carrie Underwood. But we will not have the fully produced or exactly the same produced Carrie Underwood we had in previous years. We will also not have the very awkward like NFL players walking around Carrie Underwood thing. <laughs> that's like that's it, what I Eli mean. Manning. Eli Manning was always the the MVP of of just kind of staring straight into the camera as everybody else is looking incredibly cool. And now we don't have Eli Manning anywhere in football. I always imagine the shooting script with like a parenthetical that just said interact with Carrie Underwood. You know, yeah. like that was that was the stage direction in that in that sense. Eli Manning's Twitter is actually pretty good. Just a lot of photos of him with his dogs. It's not it's not a bad Twitter. I was just looking to make sure that that, uh, can, that we were going to get some Eli Manning awkwardness this year. He, and I, I, it, it can he like be we an will. announcer in waiting? Can we can we give him a job in like 2025? Well, I I've always isn't it? Wouldn't it be funny if if Eli became kind of the Jason Witten to Peyton's Romo, where it's just like we, we, if a network can't get Peyton, they just give money to Eli and he's just not very good at it. Eli, I think Eli, Eli would probably not be very good at broadcasting. That is my professional opinion. Really? But Jason Witten level? Not no, 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 no. He'd be better than Jason Witten. I just think, I, I think he's got like kind of a dry sense of humor. And I actually think that he could be okay. I think he'd be like an okay studio guy. I just don't think he can. I don't know. I don't think he can come up with an interesting observation every 45 seconds. It would either get totally lost or he would just smash it. Yeah, it's it's a zero to 100 situation. He would have Jeff Van Gundy energy, you know, on Twitter. Everybody go, oh, this guy. What, what, what is Jeff Van Gundy energy exactly? Well, it's just like it's like a guy who's not like a conventionally great right. announcer, but everybody, he's just kind of embraced 
you know, in a weird way, like, oh, this is our guy. Ah, oh, Eli. Eli did it again, you know? Yeah, and like Jeff Van Gundy, he's got a brother who is uh, oh, yeah. also beloved. A lot of parallels here. A lot of the Van Gundys are the, man the Mannings <laughs> of NBA coaching. All right, Brian Curtis, anything else? I think that's it. Um, you know, more and we've had a lot of announcer meltdowns in September, so I'm just rooting. I'm rooting for a clean oh, fall. God. That's what I'm really rooting for. Well, Tom Brenneman's out of the picture, so let's just leave that. Let's just leave that one alone. Actually, yeah. and end the episode. <laughs> <laughs> we don't need to do a See tight later, five Kevin. on Tom. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need to do a tight five on Tom Brenneman. This has been the Ringer NFL Show on the Ringer Podcast Network. Everyone knows about the risks of driving drunk. You get in a crash. People could get hurt or killed, but that still doesn't stop everyone. You could get arrested, you could incur huge legal expenses, and you could possibly even lose your job. We all know the consequences of driving drunk, but one thing's for sure, you're wrong if you think it's no big deal. Drive sober or get pulled over. 